Mark ten thirteen through 16. Then they brought the little children to him that he may touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. That's quite a sermon in and of itself. I think we're about ready to close in prayer. That was so good, Cameron. Really. It's powerful. I didn't know who was reading today, and when I got here, she says, I'm reading. I thought, cool. (laughs) Just good stuff. When Jesus saw, you know, our thing today is all about children. The, The passage is pretty short, but there's a lot in it. We'll try to dig our way through some of it, but um, you got to be careful what you say to kids, you know. (laughs) I mean, kids are very impressionable. You could say something and really, you know, do damage to a child. You can hurt them. I mean, words are pretty powerful in a kid's life. Probably everybody here remembers something an adult said to them when they were young, and they wish they'd never heard it. You know, we, we wrestle with stuff like that. Be careful what you say to me. My grandma's crazy. <laughs> I'm not afraid to tell on you. And the funny thing about kids is they're really not tattletales in a sense. They're just, they repeat everything they hear. So if you don't want anybody else to hear it, you better watch what you're saying when the kids are in the room because kids just have a way of saying stuff. They don't mean anything by it. They might know that grandma's crazy. That's a whole other story. But <clears throat> I went back in the day. Rachel's not here tonight, so that's working out for me too. So now I can talk about her. But back in the day, when we were up in uh, a little church up north, where I first met Rachel and her mom and Clark, <clears throat> there was a uh, Rachel and I. We were kind of in the youth group thing together and. Rachel was working with the kids, and Dale and I were working with the kids. And somehow with these kids, we just had a really good time. I might say that I think at least two of those guys in that group are now pastors. They've gone through school and are pastors. And uh, Clark's brother, Jack, is really a Bible scholar and digs into the Word pretty. So there's, there was a group of kids hanging around there that were pretty pretty serious but we always had this joke thing going about kids you know that i mean i don't want to repeat any of them now because they're very offensive but to a youth group they're very funny you know like i don't really like kids after two bites i spit them out (laughs) stuff like that you know i mean that that's just youth youth group stuff well anyway rachel gave this sign to me which is the next one i have here Kids are our future, not your kids, better ones. <laughs> now, I think that was before she knew Amanda, so I was really hoping we'd have a thing here tonight. When, But I still have the sign that's on my dresser at home. 
kids. Not your kids, although. But but it does give you the idea that kids have the potential of the future within them, don't they? And a lot of what goes into children is will determine whether it's not my kids or some other kids or better kids. And each one of us as parents and as grandparents, whether we're crazy or not, doesn't really matter. But we all have this responsibility with the kids in one way or another. We have, and it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, there's always someone behind us looking up simply because we're bigger, you know, they're following and so that, that's kind of what this whole thing tonight is about. But it's, I think it's about a lot more than just the children, too. I want to go back in time a little bit to Mark 1.15. Um, when Mark starts writing, he says, you know, Jesus began to preach, and he said, look, the time is now. And the kingdom is at hand. Why? Because the king is in the room. The king is here. Jesus was there. And, you know, repent. You need to change the way that you're thinking about things. I mean, all these Old Testament saints that were walking around in the days of Jesus, all these Jewish people that knew the Old Testament, they weren't thinking real clear about what that Old Testament was saying, and they needed to change their minds. So John the Baptist, he was preaching the same message, wasn't he? Change the way you think. You, you got it wrong. Change it. And, and do what? Believe the gospel. And so Mark starts to write these story of the life of Christ, which is what we've been looking at. And it's now is the time. You know, the king is here. Change the way we think and believe, put faith in, trust in that gospel. Well, at this point, nobody even knew what that was. The gospel. Jesus started talking about it, but nobody knew what it was. But it was good news. Some kind of good news was coming. So believe it when it shows up. So if we go to two five, which was our first story, it says when Jesus saw their faith, you know, he really gave them what they needed. And what they needed was, you know, they thought was the paralytic guy getting fixed up. But what they needed was a place in the family and their sins forgiven. So what he said to them was, Son, your sins are forgiven. He gave them a place in the family and forgave their sins. Why? Because that's what the gospel is going to do. We're going to get there. And Christ is beginning to preach and teach and show things and tell stories and, and work it into real lives of real people and put on demonstrations of great faith and power and miracles and things to validate the gospel message that was coming forth. And people are going to find out what is it really about when he says, believe the gospel. It's about becoming a member in the family and having your sins forgiven. And then they, for the scribes' sake who were there, because what they really needed to know is that the king was in the room. You know, these guys, now's the time to understand that in Christ you can have forgiveness of sins. And the scribes said, well, anybody can say that. And says, so that you might know that the king is in the room, so that you might know that the Son of Man has the power, so that you might know that I can forgive sins. Rise up and walk. And the guy got up. When Jesus saw their faith, this is what happened. 
And then we went to the next story last week. We'd skipped a couple in between because of bad weather and whatever else. But 9.25, Jesus saw the people coming. He showed them what they really needed to see. That was a demon coming out of a possessed child. But when Jesus walked up to these people, they were having conversations with the scribes and the disciples were dis- and these people. And then the, the multitude was running to them because they wanted what they wanted. And everybody had these different level of expectations and all this stuff. And he's going to cast his demon out. But I think the real issue here is, look, your real problem, what you really need is deliverance from the evil one. And Jesus even taught him that when he taught him how to pray, deliver us from the evil one. The evil one has got a grip on a lot of things. And there they stand talking about how, well, if we could in, in, old, get some hiss up or well, I mean, whatever. These Old Testament guys were talking about, these scribes and what the disciples were saying. Nobody really knew. We don't, we don't have it recorded. But I think it fits the narrative of Mark one fifteen because the next thing that he's talking about is y'all need to change the way you're thinking about what's going on here. Now is the time for forgiveness of sins. You know, the king is in the room, and so that you might know I have the power, rise up and walk. And now change the way you think about things, because watch this. And he took full control over Satan and eliminated him from this young person's life for as long as we know. And so when we get to today's message, where are we in 1014, I think? But well, just before we do that, look at Hebrews again. We did this one, yeah. As much as the children have partaken of the flesh, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power over death, that is the devil. We looked at that one last week. We looked at that in the book of Hebrews when we were going through there. When he cast that demon out, it was because the devil is a very big part of the evil and the darkness in this world. And if we don't come to Christ, what's left? Who do we belong to? I think it was Bobby Dillon, when he came to know the Lord a little later in life, he said, you've got to serve somebody. He wrote a song about that. You should check it out sometime. But you're going to serve somebody. So you better figure out who. Because there's only two options. Now, interesting thing about this verse. Inasmuch as then as the children... Are, who's he ta- He's talking about all of us. As though we are children. He himself became a child, God-man. And it's the same word used in our Mark passage today as used here in talking about Jesus being a child and taking on the flesh of children to become human, to become so much less than what he had been in glory, yet the God-man, and yet he himself went to the cross to pay for the sin to bring people into the family, to eliminate our bad thinking so that we could understand that we have been set free and greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And the whole thing just fits together in ways that the more you read the book, the more you realize just how much 
how much we have in this blessed assurance that we were just singing about. Satan has no power over any of it. The children are dependent upon their fathers. We're going to talk about that a little bit more too, but when Christ took on flesh, who was he dependent upon? He said it over and over. I and the Father are one. I only do those things that the Father tells me to do. And his whole life as a child, in a sense, as God in flesh, the flesh of a child, which is what he says we all are. I mean, you think about how big God is and how little we are. Are we not children? Sometimes we think we're so, so smart. Here's the news flash. Repent. <laughs> Change the way you think about that. because. But there he was as a son, as a child, as a dependent upon his father through all things. Well, this gets us to today's passage, what we're looking at, 1014. It says, when Jesus saw it, he, uh, he showed them what they really needed. And I think what he's really showing in this passage is the need for trust, the need for faith, the need to receive Christ in order to enter in to whatever it is that Christ has to offer, which is kind of all four parts now of what he introduced in Mark one fifteen. But it brings us to the questions that we were asking a week ago, or two weeks ago even, and the questions are, if they're up there yet, here we go, I might have added one. Do we see what Jesus sees? Are our hearts in tune with his heart? Are we focused on the same things? What was his purpose in coming? You know, why did he do all of these interesting little miracles and things? Uh, does my life reflect what Jesus is seeing? And what can these old stories possibly teach us? You know, when Jesus saw, you know, and you add then the other thing along with what Mark one fifteen says, we have what Mark 8 has said. We looked at that a little bit last week about the gospel because at some point after he'd been teaching this 115 thing for a while, he started to bring in a little more information because as any good teacher would do, you slowly bring in the stuff and keep going over it and over it and over it. Bill McDonald used to say, just keep preaching until they learn it on their own. And really, that's what that's what preachers do. That's what we all do. You know, how many times have you read the same passage and you just recently learned something from it? You know, that's that's the whole thing. It's like, just keep at it. So Jesus begins to introduce to them, along with this, now's the time the king's in the room and repent and uh, believe the gospel. Now he's starting to explain even more and more, what is that good news message? Well, that good news message is... The Son of Man is going to suffer and die and be buried and rise again from the dead. What's that got to do with it? And can you imagine what people were thinking? The Twelve is like, huh? It says in the book that they didn't even know what he was talking about until after the resurrection. They never put it together <clears throat> until after he rose from the dead. And it's like, wow, 
There's more here than we've been paying attention to. They just didn't put it together. But in these stories, like I said last week, it's not just about casting out demons or making people walk. It wasn't just about doing the stuff. It was about a way to reveal to mankind the deeper needs that people have, a need to be in a family, a need to know our sins forgiven, a need to know that Satan has no power over our lives. We belong to God, Holy Spirit, born again, sealed, knowing that by faith in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that we have the promise of the kingdom of heaven in front of us. So much so that the scripture even says, you're already there. You're as good as home. Blessed assurance. You're already on your way home with faith in Christ. How do these people believe that message? You know, in 831, so when he was talking, it's like, man, I just don't know what is he talking about. And even today, have you talked to people about Christ in your lifetime? And they just sort of like... I know before I became a Christian, I was pretty well drugged up. Most of you have heard that story before, but I was I was getting sober. I you know I hadn't been had anything in a day or so, but I'm reading the Bible and I'm trying to figure out like what difference does it make that this guy died on a cross? You know, so and people tell you about that, or you tell others about it, and they're just like, what? How does that? I get to go to heaven because it, how does that even work? And we've had 2,000 years of gospel preaching going on by the time I'd come to know the Lord. And imagine how the people in that time felt with so much less information about that message, that good news that Christ began to teach. He said, believe the gospel. Believe the good news. How is that good news? Somebody's going to die and get buried and rise again. What's that rise again thing about? We better not ask him. I don't know about that, you know. They just shied away from it. How do people come to know that? But Jesus, slowly and methodically, you might say, logically, just worked his way through doing things like these three stories that we've been talking about. He saw their faith and he saw and he saw and, and he did things that was for their benefit so that they could grow and they could know and they could learn. So he saw the disciples, Mark ten fourteen. it says, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and he said unto them, suffer the children to come to me. There's your invitation. And we're, we've been talking about, along with other things, the last couple of weeks, about being an inviting church. And in, Jesus is basically saying, let the children come. Well, that would require the ideas of inviting and making it inviting and making sure not just children, but everybody's invited. You know, it would be nice if the parents brought their kids to church, wouldn't it? And forbid them not. Well, why in the world would somebody stop the kids from coming? To Christ especially. You know, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Why would you want to stop and hinder people from coming to know the Lord? And what about the children? 
You know, I'll be the first to confess that in this little church, we kind of do the Sunday night thing. We really don't have a program for the kids. But is our lack of a program for the kids being like the apostles and saying, don't bring your kids to church? That's a scary thought, isn't it? I don't think any of us are trying to say that. But it, it's been a problem for us for six and a half years, and we had it solved for a while, and COVID hit, and we didn't have it solved for a while. And so we're back and forth on this issue, and what's our role, and how do we work through all that? And so far, it hasn't been a real big problem. But, you know, why do you want to stop kids from coming? Because they are an example to us on how the kingdom of heaven is going to operate. Heaven is going to be full of simple people with simple faith. It's going to be full of children. There might be more children there than we can imagine. I think there's been over 60 million of them aborted in America alone in the last few years, and I personally think they're all home with Jesus. That's what I think. You know, you take in all the such behavior around the pagan world in all of our life. I mean, uh, since the beginning of time, there's a lot of children that have gone home. Hinder the children from coming? Well, Jesus saw it. What? It? What did he see? When it says it, what did Jesus see? Anybody know? Shout something out. He saw a problem. What did he see? The disciples were stopping. He said to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. No, you can't come in. What? Something's wrong. This people group does not fit my profile of a perfect mega church. You know, we only preach the gospel within the 1040 window where real people live. People farther north or south, they don't count, I guess. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It. They saw it. They saw and it displeased him very much. And so the questions will flow out of all of that toward us is like, How am I hindering or how am I helping? How am I a part of the problem or how am I the solution to the problem? So let's just run down through these verses real quick. Um, Verse 13, And they brought young children to him. Again, it's the same word as in Hebrews, but and he was dependent upon his father. And what's wrong with Who did? The parents? The mothers? It doesn't really say, but people were bringing the kids to Jesus because... They wanted him to touch them. They just put their hand. They wanted their children to somehow be touched by him. And the word has to do with identifying with them, associating with them, of being fastened to him. About uh, it's got some idea of burning in it too, like with a fire, which is really odd. But it's almost like I want my kids on fire for Jesus. Maybe that's kind of the thought behind it. I want my children to be touched by this one so that they will burn in their minds forever that they were with Jesus at one point in their lives. 
You know, that it's it's really a cool word. Well, whoever they were, they wanted Jesus to attach himself to the children to start something good burning in their lives that would carry on. I think kids' work is very serious. You know, in, in our theological system, we train people. They go to these schools, and they come out of school, they turn them into a youth pastor. You know that? <clears throat> They need to practice on the children so that they can become real pastors in their next job. But that's the way the churches look at it, and that's kind of how the schools teach it, and I think it's just the most sinful thing that you can do because the kids really deserve the brightest and the best, and they need mature, healthy, whole-minded people more than the adults do. Because why? Well, kids are easily influenced. You, you, if you were good with kids, you could take any group of kids and have all ten of them up here. Well, I just picked ten for the fun of it. And have them all raising their hands and asking Jesus into their heart within five minutes and pass out the candy bars at the end. It's all done. They're all on the way to heaven. You could do it. It, it could be done. <clears throat> Is that good theology? Is it a good practice? What did you just do to these children? You just told them they're all going to heaven. Because of what? They raised their hand and took the candy bar? I'm oversimplifying it, but I'm pointing it out because it's serious business. That when you're dealing with children, they will believe almost anything you tell them. I mean, how many kids believe in Santa Claus? If you still do, he's real. Don't blame me for letting it out of the bag. So... You know, and Judy told Santa when he was up there in the movie, he says, well, they just sort of grow out of the mystery of faith. Remember that movie, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen? It's not worth watching. He has on his suit Alpha and Omega, if you can handle that. (laughs) I don't think so. But But the point about faith in little kids is real. Because little kids have a way of believing stuff. Why? Because God Almighty has written in His book that He has put eternity in the hearts of everyone, including the children. It's in Ecclesiastes 3.11 if you want to look it up. He's put eternity in their hearts, and they're so simple in the young ages that they believe what they're told. It's sad, but when you think about children who are born to people who don't know about God or Christ, and they grow up, It's really scary stuff, isn't it? So the responsibility of raising children and being with children and being around in kids' ministry, this isn't just fill the slot, people. It's quality people who understand children and how dangerous it is. Just tell them the stories and let them come to Christ as they grow up. The Holy Spirit will work in their lives. We don't need to coerce children into professions and confessions. The Lord will work in their lives. Let them come. And Jesus saw it. He was much displeased. Verse 14. He said to them, Let the children come, for such is the kingdom. You know, people, when they come to Christ, they're, they're a lot like children. When, when someone first gets saved, 
you might say they're a babe in Christ. I think Peter talks about that. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. You know, you're feeding them the Scripture as infants. Small doses over time. And they grow and they grow. But, you know, if he's a... You need to quit this, 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 and that, and the other thing, and you know, you're not, you're not, you're not, and start making up rules and regulations on, until you get all this out of your life, you're not going to be much of a Christian. And all of a sudden, it's become a works driven thing of legalism rather than love and care and grace. And I mean, you got a four year old kid on 28th Street, you're going to let them cross 28th Street on their own? I've seen adults do it, it's scary. But yet often in church, we as godly Christians, we expect the children to cross cross 28th Street on their own without having taught them anything. You better measure up to the minimum requirements of our holy group. That's a lot to put on a child, even a young believer. Even a young believer who's in his 50s. Because we're messing with them. We really are. But all of us, we all need these things. That same thing that children need, don't we? Love, grace, understanding, compassion, training, time, affirmation, food. Sometimes we probably need our diapers changed too. It's coming, don't worry. We make messes of our lives. And we need... To have things fixed, we need, like children, to be dependent upon Christ. We really do. Let the children come. It has with it this idea of flowing in a direction. So if you start up north and get into Mississippi, you'll eventually float past Dubuque and a few other towns in Memphis and on down the line. And as long as you stay in the river, you're you're, gonna, you're moving in a direction, you know. But to think that, well, I just stepped in the river, so I'm as the same as being in New Orleans. No, you're not. You're probably headed that way. I just put my faith in Christ, and I'm heading that way to become more like Christ. But it's going to take a little time. It's going to take a little time to get there. And that's, that's the idea behind this, is Jesus is saying, let them come to me. They're moving in a good direction. What, what's the problem here? Don't forbid them, because this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. This is about each and every one of us doing a little bit here and there, now and then, and learn, grow, study, share, do life, just like kids. I honestly believe little kids know absolutely everything you're saying at least two years before they can talk. <laughs> Some kids start talking at a year and a half, so the math doesn't work. I get it. But, you know, I mean, they understand things, but it's little at a time. It's because of the repetition and the study and then the work and the struggle. And, man, if we could just show a little more grace to each other, just because I know something that you don't or you know something I don't, it's like... Let's not condemn one another, but help each other like children to grow. And those are the qualities of a child, really. Well, he took them in his arms, he set them down, and he blessed them. He touched them with his hands. They wanted him to touch the children, and he did. And 
Long after he was gone, I can imagine the mothers talking with their kids. You sat on his lap before they crucified him. You know, what a story. And some of those kids, because of that, would search the Scripture, man. They would want to know who was this man. It says he blessed them. Eulogio, I think is the word, or eulogio. I can't speak Greek, but that's what it is. And EU in Greek is always good, and logeo is kind of like words, good words. You've heard eulogy at the funeral? Same word. We speak good about the dead. Some funerals are a little tougher to do that than others, I understand. You know, you should know some of my relatives. Don't worry, I'll erase that on the recording. You know, but to give a eulogy is to speak good words over somebody, and that's that's what that's about at a funeral. And that's what Jesus did. He took these kids. We don't know what he said, but he spoke really good words over them. He blessed them. And this is what cool stuff. And why would you want to stop that? I, I kind of wondered if Jesus remembered what Peter had said back in John 6. <clears throat> He said, oh, you guys going away too? And Peter says, no, Lord, you're the only one who has words of everlasting life. Where are we going to go? We've come to believe. We've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then a few few days later, he's like, no, your kids can't show up here. I think, don't you want them to hear the words of eternal life? How many of you feel like Peter from time to time? Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, at least Phil's honest. The rest of y'all lie and going to hell for it, probably. You ought to raise your hand when this question like that is asked. We all have done it, the hypocrisy of life. We've all done it, you know. That's not why you go to hell, by the way. It's lack of faith in Christ that causes that problem. But Jesus loves us, this we know, because why? And the Bible tells us so because in Mark's gospel, he took the time, 115 and 831, and the miracles that were wrapped around it to teach us that Jesus is the only Savior and that we should come to him and him alone and bring your kids with you. Lord, we just thank you for the night. We just ask that you'd help us all to examine our own hearts and take a good look and see, are we hindering or helping? Are we allowing others to grow in faith? Are we seeing each other as needy children? We need help, Lord. We need each other. We need you. We need your word. We just ask that you'd be with us this week as we go out and uh, help us to serve well with love in our hearts. And Lord, especially the children. We think of this young fellow that has a brain tumor, and we just ask you to open some doors for us to help that family. And uh, Lord... We don't know what their condition is, but we're praying for them. And we'd ask that you'd give us some insight on how to help. May we go from here trusting you day by day in Jesus' name. Amen.